of these ladies, none of these ladies asked to be on this panel, and they're all like probably mad at me for choosing them to be on this panel, if we had to be honest about it. I know my own wife is, right? Uh, and so we wanted, I'm, I'm here to help, and I'm here to kind of ask the, I've kind of t- taken you guys' questions and, and formulated them um, into some categories, and then we're going to ask them. I'm just going to give this to you. Is this on? Yep, it's on. So wherever we're at, you can just pass it around. <laughs> yeah, that's it right here. Okay. So we know, I'll get you for you. All right. There's going to be a lot of whatabouts. We're not going to answer all the whatabouts. We're going to answer as many as we possibly can in some big category, categorical questions, right? Sin complicates things where you have, you're, going to, you're going to have questions that many of us just probably won't be able to answer, and the answer is do the next right thing, <laughs> right? Do the next right thing and start orienting your life towards that ideal. But here's some... Uh, Oh, yes, I'm sorry. We should totally introduce ourselves. Uh, go ahead. You start. Oh, my gosh. Here we go. We have to go. <laughs> All right. Mm, I'm Emily Arguello. I am wife to Alex. He is an um, elder here at Sacred City. We've been here for about 12 years. I have six kids. The oldest is 19, and the youngest is five. Um, I currently teach part-time, um, but my heart is still um, 100% as a homemaker. I'm Amanda Dean, married to Pastor Justin, right there. Um, we've been married for almost 20 dang years, which is crazy. <laughs> we have five kids, um, 16 down to two and a half. I'm Gretchen Martin. Um, my husband is Todd. Um, we've been married for 32 years. Let's go. We have five children. Um, 27 down to 15. Um, the two girls are married, and one of them has three kids, and the fourth is coming next month. And um, Rachel, who many of you know, is expecting in June. And my name is Emily Gaskell. I'm married to Scott, who's the director of operations here. We've been married 18 years, and we have three kids 15, 13, and 11. And you are? You do? You do? I, my job? Yes. I also uh, teach part-time. Uh, I teach future teachers at Eastern Iowa Community College. There you go. Cool. All right, so this is going to be a couple questions that are open, and anybody can hop in and answer these, okay? How has your idea of womanhood or femininity changed or developed since becoming a Christian or coming to understand the scriptures in a better way. Anybody? Still growing. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I think the first thing I think of is practicing femininity through submission. Um, submission equals freedom. And I think that culturally, when people hear the word submission, they equally hear prison. Um, or shackles or something. Um, but and I, I do feel, I mean, since the garden, since Eve, like it is our tendency to rule and to push back against the idea of submission. Um, so I think that what I've learned is submission equals freedom. And anytime you're struggling with 
like a biblical concept or idea or you feel your spirit pushing against it, um, then you, you look to the scriptures and you look to the life of Jesus and you can see clearly his own submission to the Father's will and ultimately his submission to the cross is what had to be done to, to purchase our freedom. Um, and so viewing submission as an act, an, an action towards, towards freedom mm. and not as a prison is, has been really helpful. Emily, you want? I've had a extremely dramatic change um, since I'd say becoming a Christian or just even understanding that the gospel changes everything about your life. Um, when we came to Sacred City 12 years ago, I was definitely um, maybe more in line with the feminist beliefs that my identity and my worth was going to come from what I did outside of the home. Um, I wanted to work really hard. I wanted to be good at what I did out there. And um, I would say that that just consistently and slowly, um, I would say over five years, kind of took to change that and, and to realize that, no, what I was called to in my home with my children um, was beautiful and was good. And my kids were not a burden to me, but they were my main priority. And... Um, then learning how to be a wife and to let my husband lead. And um, I would, it's, it's been like slow, but there's been moments of like huge bursts of change and, and growth. But um, I'm blown away and thankful for the change of what God has called me out of. Yeah, amen. Um, I would agree that I have had a major transformation too, but I never really saw my identity as something outside the home. Um, and I was very happy to be at home with my kids, but I thought I ran the house. And um, that has been something very transformative for me, is understanding that that isn't my job, <laughs> that I'm the manager, um, but he's the one who's um, in charge. Yeah. That's good. One thing I want to say to Emily, because I've been a witness to this whole deal. And one of the interesting things, the interesting dynamics, so she was working with Alex and she was kind of running the office and doing a lot of that when we met him. And Alex, at, most of you know Alex and Alex is a great leader. He wasn't 12 years ago. And it was difficult for him. He was relying on her to basically run a lot of the business. And I said, you gotta quit that. You gotta, you gotta and he had to, to get her home and she got home and Take her doing her role increased his own responsibility and made him into a better leader, right? So that's a question a lot of ladies have. Well, he's not a good leader, so do I just jump in there? If you do it now, you'll do it forever, right? Let the plates drop and then say, honey, your plates dropped. <laughs> not too often, though. <laughs> no, there we go. All right. What, ladies, what are some signs of a flourishing home? And then we could also contrast that with some signs of a home that's not flourishing. We chatted briefly as a panel last night, and I think we kind of quickly identified it's often easier to see when our homes are not flourishing um, than sometimes when they are. And so when I think about in, in my household, when we are not flourishing, um, some examples would be we're all in the same room, but we're on a device. Like we're not connecting or relating, even though we're in the same place. Uh, I think when my marriage is not thriving, my household is not thriving. If I am being critical or Scott and I are just not on the same page, it affects our household. And so then when we are 
Flourishing, when my home is flourishing, there is love, there is joy, there's peace, and there's laughter. And you just, you feel that in your home, and it's this place where we all want to be, and we're enjoying relationships with each other. And there's also grace and repentance, uh, because obviously we're all sinners, the five sinners under the same roof. And so um, there's an, an owning of that and seeking forgiveness and repenting when we hurt each other. So that's another sign that we're flourishing um, in our home. That's good. And I would say just communication. Um, when we're not flourishing, we're really not talking to each other very much. It gets very quiet. Um, and then the communication that happens is um, with an attitude, usually. Um, I think kind of maybe to preface this question a little bit, maybe you guys, like when you hear the term flourishing home, there's an image or like an idea that pops into your head of, how, of what that should look like. And then you look at your own circumstances and the way that sin has affected your household, um, which is different for every one of us, and you have a particular sin effect in your household, whether that's divorce or illness or whatever that might look like. So you look at this ideal flourishing home, and then you see your circumstances, and it seems so far removed. Um, I just want to encourage you guys not to believe the lie that that disqualifies you from having a flourishing home, um, and just um, lean into the truth that God can come into those areas and redeem them, and you're still completely qualified because of Jesus to have a flourishing home, no matter what your circumstances mm. are right now. Yeah. I think one of the things that they said that's really important is the home that's not flourishing is the home that's allowing sin to fester and grow. And no matter if you're a blended family or what everyone in your family can keep short accounts and repent of their sin and ask for forgiveness and walk and, and give each other grace. Everyone can do that. So if you're looking for step one, that's step one. Like confess your sin, repent of your sin, be forgiven of your sin and forgive others, right? That's, that's where it starts. What are some of the greatest temptations you face as a woman on a daily, weekly basis and how do you deal with those temptations? Nobody wants to answer this one. <laughs> I think, well, one of my biggest temptations is to just kind of roll around in a big puddle of discontentment and get really focused on what I haven't been given and what I would really like to see happen and just completely lose sight of what the Lord has given me and the time and place that he's placed me in right now. Um, yeah, and to just allow that discontentment to kind of fester and then that always inevitably creates grumbling and a bad attitude. It can also create bitterness towards your husband because, you know, thoughts like if you were a better provider, then I would be able to have that house or that car or that neighborhood or whatever it is you're longing for. So, um, yeah, that's a temptation for me is to just settle into that discontentment and, Yeah. Definitely for me, similarly, it's just taking my eyes off of Christ and eternity and being distracted by the things that are in front of my face, the, the things that are temporal that aren't going to last, um, and, just, and what I feel, the way I feel, being distracted by that, um, that is probably my biggest temptation. 
The three that I wrote down, uh, comparison, just asking myself, am I doing a good job? And looking around at the women around me, and social media is really good at telling you you're not doing a good enough job. Uh, seeking my own comfort or pleasure, and pride, uh, just living independently of the Lord. Like, I got this, I can do this. And I think a couple ways I counteract that, um, Proverbs 4, 23 came to mind. It says, above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. And as I've grown, um, just understanding that my heart is my job. I need to tend to my own heart before the Lord and just keep tabs on it. And uh, when I see those things, that independence or that uh, pride or comparison, to take that to him and leave it there, um, to turn from that. And then to remember my identity in Christ, that I'm chosen, I'm loved, he is pleased with me, um, and just yeah, the roles he's called me to, that I answer to him and nobody else. So to stand in my identity in Christ, to remind myself of that. Okay, I didn't know if you were I can add my I would say one of my biggest ones is to prioritize um, tasks over people. I still struggle I still am recovering from um, finding my identity and my performance, which was before, but still I tend to, to want to go, my home will flourish if the systems look like this, or the rooms look like this, or the meals look like this. But that's like that's not it. A flourishing home is a feeling, it is fellowship. So um, knowing my people and loving my people and, and being having the eyes off of myself and my task list to kind of to meet their needs. That's good. Emily Gaskell, what, what, we're going to kind of narrow in on this because we had some of these questions. What does a flourishing home look like for a young single woman? So when I think young single woman, I think 18 to 30-ish, you know, like out of high school um, and, but not yet married. And uh, three words that come to mind are intentionality, balance, and identity. Intentionality, um, in that season of life, when you're not yet married, Time is one of the most, um, the biggest assets that you have. And so I think creating a flourishing home in that season looks like being very intentional with your time, inviting people into your home, using it for a place of hospitality, uh, going into others' homes, or using your time to create social environments where others can connect and relationships can develop and deepen. Serving your MC, whether that's... Um, Offering to, to babysit or hang out with a family that you're in relationship with um, is the great use of time. I also think balance because that's a season of life where some women are going through school and beginning their careers. And just to be mindful of gospel community mission, not investing 60 or more hours a week in your job, your career, but finding our identity in Christ and in the, the identities that he's given us. Um, so just having that balance in that season of life, I think, is really important. And third thing I'd say is just to live in that other, other-centered world, um, because again, if you're young and single, you kind of only are responsible for you. And um, to not get caught up in that kingdom of self and all of what you want to do, but um, just to be mindful of those around you and seek to be a blessing, seek to be a life giver to those that you are in relationship with and maximize that season. That's good. Emily uh, Arguello here. What does a flourishing home look like for a family with young kids and a mother who works uh, outside the home? 
Um, I think after you're hearing what Pastor Justin said, I think that we should all, I'm, I firmly believe that being at home is a full-time job, um, that being a homemaker is a full-time job. But then there are the different scenarios that um, women work outside the home. Sometimes we work because we have to, that's the only income in the family, um, or we still work because the other income in the family doesn't, doesn't meet all of our needs. Or sometimes we work just because we want to, or we're looking for an escape, or we're looking for joy or fulfillment outside of that. So I think it's important to know if you are working, um, why you're working and being aware of that and reevaluating on a, a consistent basis. I, when I have been working every six months, at least every year we're reevaluating, is this working? Is what we're doing working? Um, is, my home is my home flourishing? or not? Am I flourishing out in society and there's weeds growing at home? Kind of evaluating on those things of how that's going. So if you are in a situation where you have to work, you are the only income in the family, um, be content with that. Like ask God to help you be creative in being um, having more time at home. So ask, praying for a job with more money, more flexibility, part-time, asking God to give you an escape so that you can put your best resources into your home, that that is your priority. Um, and so I think kind of like, how would you answer the question? Like, what do you do? If, if you're still defining yourself by what you do outside of the home, that's maybe saying something's missing on the inside of what is your priority? Where is your heart? really at? Where are your first fruits going? Where is your best work going? So I think focusing on that. Um, so then, but if you're in a situation where you do have a husband that provides, I think it would be praying for, um, hey, is there an opportunity that he can make more money so that I can go part-time or really part-time or um, not work at all? So praying and then trusting. We have been in two different situations where I decided to stop working and um, we prayed that that was what needed to happen, but it didn't seem financially like it could actually work. And God has been very obedient or very, as we're obedient, he's blessed us in that. So I think you can be encouraged that he will want what is good for that. Um, but it's gonna take, it's gonna take a lot of hard work. It's gonna take planning. It's gonna take being prepared, having your eyes on what you're doing. Um, practically speaking, it's gonna take a lot of discipline. But to be honest, I think I function better when I have more on my plate. I am more focused, I am more intentional, I am more planned. So I think sometimes in um, working, you, you can have that. So um, I think planning and discipline are the big things that you're gonna have when you're working outside the home and also just being able to pray for and prioritize and have eyes to see how you can help your family flourish um, in doing both. That's good. Gretchen, what does a flourishing home look like for a family with teenagers and grown children who are starting their own family? So kind of the household, you've got the household thing going on. Um, well, it's not any easier than when you have littles. Um, the, the, the issues are just different. Um, but it's fun. Um, but it's, um, as, they, as you're, kids grow and they are developing their own independence. Um, sometimes you have to rein that in and sometimes you have to let it out. And um, it's a lot of trusting in God. He loves my kids more than I do, which is really hard for me to fathom, but I know that it's true. And so I can trust that when they are going out, he's got them. And, and then also having, especially as daughters get married, 
having the same trust in God that he is leading your son-in-laws as your daughters submit to them, um, even if it's different than what you would do in your home, um, and respecting that authority in their home, um, and yet still being able to um, speak into your grandkids' lives and answer your daughter's questions when she has them and um, be available for that, but not be um, pushing that, right? I'm, I wanna be a resource for them, um, but I don't, it's not my job to, to lead or direct their household. So a lot of pressing into the Lord um, because he's the one who is leading and directing in those other households too. That's good. Amanda, what about young women who still live with parents? How can they contribute to the flourishing of their home without overstepping boundaries? Um, I think, well, I don't think you're ever too young to start practicing the habits of a flourishing home and homemaking and building those skills. So I think if we're talking young, like teenager young, where you're still living in your house with your parents, more than likely you've been given a space, probably your bedroom, maybe a bathroom. Um, I would encourage these girls to take dominion over that space and practice the art of homemaking in your bedroom and keep it clean and keep it tidy and organized um, as a way to contribute to the flourishing of your parents' house where you're living right now. Um, if you're a little bit older, maybe you've graduated high school, your college, or young adult age, um, I think boundaries were mentioned. So the first thing I would do is have a conversation with your parents. Like, I want to start practicing the art of homemaking and bring flourishment to to our home. Um, what are some boundaries that you guys have in place? I want to continue to honor you um, since I'm living in your house as I as I'm practicing this and working this out in my own life. So what are some boundaries? Would you guys be okay if I had some friends over for a dinner? How can I do that in a way that wouldn't be burdensome to you? Um, just have an open conversation with your parents about that and then start, start practicing it while you're living in their home um, with the end goal of being able to do it in your own home someday. That's good. Okay, I'm gonna ask... Emily and Amanda, this question here. What does it look like to have a flourishing home during seasons that are busy? This is assuming that there are seasons that aren't. Uh, <laughs> school, extracurricular activities, sports, all the kind of stuff that's going on with multiple children, it just can become overwhelming. So how do you keep a flourishing home when, when you feel like you're in crazy town? I would say mom's attitude is first and foremost what will set the tone of the house in that. Um, thanking God for the busyness, thanking God for the fruitfulness that he's given you, for the things that he's put in your life. I think of having that posture of look at all the things my kids are able to be involved in or look at the good work that he's given us. So I guess that would first be assuming that what you're filling your time with is good things. So I think I'm jumping to that, making that assumption that you haven't filled your life with things that aren't part of your family's telos. So having you, your household having a mission statement that you're aiming towards, I think is foundational to work backwards to say, hey, are we gonna play travel baseball this year? Are we gonna compete in all of these competitions? Things like that. Um, that has to work backwards. And you have, also have to have a definition of a flourishing home um, to make sure that those things can work into that. Um, 
So yeah, mom's attitude, being thankful, being ready, being prepared. I would say in mine and the kids' busyness, that's always, I can always anticipate that. Alex's busyness ebbs and flows and we have to adapt as we go. But um, we are now into a six week stretch that we have seven games a week. And so being prepared and planned for that is really helpful for me to feel like I can step um, I can step into doing that well and knowing it's only a season. We fight for family rhythms. We fight to still have dinner most nights of the week together. We don't miss missional community. We do not miss church. Um, we have people that can help us. If, if there happens to be a Sunday morning game or a, our MCs on Thursday night or a Thursday night game, we call in help for that. That's not a negotiable for Alex and I that we're going to miss those to head to those things on a regular basis. Um, um, yeah, I mean, I totally agree that having a household mission, um, long-term goals for your family, are it's super important when it comes to making decisions about, okay, what are we going to add to our life right now? What are we going to put on the calendar? If little Johnny has the opportunity to play on some traveling team and the tournaments are on Sundays, well, that's an easy no. You know, it's a difficult decision, but that doesn't align with the mission of our family. Um, and then when you do... If you've evaluated everything and said, okay, I think we've made wise choices here, but we have five kids and they're all doing things, so that just becomes complicated. So then just being really wise, being strategic. Um, if you're not naturally a planner, you're probably going to have to roll up your sleeves and become a planner um, during these busy seasons because otherwise, I don't think it's possible for your home to flourish if you are not strategic about, okay, we've got seven games this week. Here's our gap day. This is mandatory family dinner night. This is our slow night. We're going to take advantage of that. We're not going to throw something else on the calendar just because it becomes available. Something pops up. So we're going to go ahead and do it. Like you have to look at your month and be really thoughtful and uh, strategic about how you're planning your days. That's good. <clears throat> yes. I would say, um, I mean, they talked a lot about boundaries and protecting certain times, but protect your time with the Lord too. And don't get so busy that you are not in the word and you're not worshiping well. Um, and your, your mind is constantly thinking of the next thing that's happening. So make sure you protect that time and your time with your husband. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I would add one thing and just say, and tell your kids, you be okay to tell your kids, no, we don't do that. No, that's not in line with our family mission. My goal isn't to make you a professional football player. My goal is to raise a Christian, and that's the, that's the goal. So Sunday, and this was tough for me because my son is a wrestler like I was, and every kid's tournament's on Sunday. So I knew by choosing to not allow my kid to wrestle on a Sunday tournament, I was choosing for him not to be as good as he possibly could be. And he's mad at me for it, all right? He's, he's mad at me, but I think when he gets older, I think he's gonna see, because I wanted to teach him that discipleship, Jesus, is more important. So many times, like my men have said, let's say Thursday nights are one night that we have off. Guess what? The kids don't like nights off. Can I stay the night? Can I do this? There's, right? They're gonna wanna cram that free night full of more activities, and you gotta say, nope, that's family night, right? Block it off in the calendar, so that's good. Um, Gretchen, just a couple more here. Uh, how do you prioritize loving your husband first when you have children? Yeah, when I saw this question with my name next to it, I kind of laughed because I, that's <laughs> one thing that I, I, uh, I mean, there are many, but it's one thing that I feel like I have not always done very well. Um, 
And I asked Todd, actually, like, what do you think? And he was kind of, he was just very quiet. And I said, <laughs> I said, well, you can think about that and get back to me. <laughs> so he asked the boys, what does your mom do that you feel like um, she prioritizes me over you? And um, they all said, well, she sleeps in your bed. <laughs> uh. and, and Todd said, you know, that's true. You have never slept with our kids except for, for when Zach was two and he had pneumonia. I slept in bed with him. Um, I didn't really ever consider doing that. Um, but one of the things that I has been not necessarily easy for me, um, Todd's love language is physical touch. And that's not something I really think about. But he feels loved by me when I rub his neck or when I hold his hand. And so um, if I can remember to do that, then... Um, he knows that I'm prioritizing him when I do that because he knows that that's not second nature to me. Um, so things like that, um, to be protecting the time alone with, with him. When we, when we say we're gonna have um, some talk time or when he says, I wanna take you out to dinner or whatever, I'm prioritizing that. I'm not gonna let anything encroach on that. So those are big things. We also try and pray together every morning, and that's a big thing. Um, it kind of varies with his schedule. He works from home, and he has calls at different times on different days. So I just adjust my schedule to when he's available, and that's been really important in our relationship too. Um, just something really simple and practical. Just think about being like a, a bright spot in your husband's day. So that means when he gets home from work, like you look up at him, you greet him, you hug him with a smile, you look up from that nursing baby, you look up from that task, whatever you're busy doing in the moment. I think we can get so honed in on our job and our task and what we're working on in the moment that we don't even notice, and I'm guilty of this, don't even notice when he walks in the room after work. So make it part of your mission to greet him with a smile when he walks into your home and let him know that he is a priority. You are noticing him. He is valuable. That's good. Well, we kind of, I'm going to segue into this because she kind of mentioned it. This was a, this was a question. How do we desire, this was asked for the ladies. So how do we desire intimacy in the bedroom when there isn't intimacy outside of the bedroom? This is open to the panel. No, they just said, you're the new one. <laughs> okay, so the, the first thing I thought when I read this question was, I pictured a circle, like intimacy outside the bedroom leads to intimacy in the bedroom. Intimacy in the bedroom leads to intimacy outside of the bedroom. And so I would lovingly challenge you to start in the bedroom. And there's just this dynamic in marriage that when men feel loved and appreciated and respected and seen and known, 
there's this softness and gentleness and like openness to connecting with you. And I, and I don't think, it's like the chicken or the egg, what's, what comes first? And if our heart is, well, I'm gonna have my needs met and then I'll be available to meet your needs. That's not the gospel, right? So that's, anyway, that's just my strong encouragement. Um, go to Jesus and say, Jesus, would you, yeah, would you change my heart? Would you soften my heart? Would you give me desire for the man that you have given me? And we are the garden, ladies. That's the reality. We can invite our husbands into that. And um, I really think intimacy, emotional, that spiritual intimacy that, we're, that we desire will also come out of that. I don't know if any of you ladies listened, but we, I, we posted the men's talk on the Sacred City Life podcast. And we talked a lot about sexuality and the way God made men. And the bedroom is meant to be a form of like nuclear reactor that it draws a man and a wife together and they create children. And then all of a sudden when these babies are here, the man's like, I got to get out and provide. And, and that sexual intimacy that he gets, to, he gets to return to, he returns to it and it sends him back out into the world. He returns to it, it sends him back out into the world. And if that's broken, then he's going to be broken. His virility, his masculinity, his ability to go, the same intensity that he desires to have sex once he's sexually fulfilled, once he's having sex with his wife, that, that's meant to drive him out into the world. That's a fuel that sends him back in, out into the world to provide for his loved ones and come back home. So I know for most ladies, sex and making babies, and you know, maybe, it's, maybe it's enjoyable, maybe it's not. But for men, it means a whole lot more than that. It means a whole lot more than that. So if you didn't listen to that talk, I'd encourage you to just to get inside his head a little bit. Can I, I'd also um, like to add, if, if, you, if there's something you desire outside intimacy that you desire outside of the bedroom, um, when you choose to bring that up to him, I would encourage you to be specific. Hey, this is what I would like you to do. And generally, after sex is the best time to tell him those things. They're, they will listen better. And then you graciously and patiently, if they fail, you, you wait. You, you're, just, you're patient and you're gracious. And you remind him again, hey, I would really feel loved if you would text me during the day and check in. If you would buy me flowers once a month. Like, be, they want specifics. They don't want to guess what it is. And I know that's hard for us to do sometimes. We want it to be spontaneous. And that's the only way that it's good and genuine. But they don't. They don't think like that, and they want to love you. They want to meet your needs the way that you want them met. So give them the resources. So you might have to do the hard work of figuring out, okay, what actually do I want? What would actually lead to intimacy in other places? And as you grow in that, then you can also just ask, um, hey, I really need a date night. Can, we, can you please schedule something to go out? My, I feel empty. I need some alone time with you. That's good. That's really good. <clears throat> well, we are over time, and so I want to uh, honor you guys and honor your time and commitments and babysitters and all of that. So first of all, I want to thank all the ladies up here for being up here, sharing with us. And if you've got a lot more questions, um, we are, I could answer some on the Sacred City Live podcast. If you want to email those to me, we can continue to talk about them. Um, hopefully you guys were, were blessed today. Thank you all for coming. Thank you uh, for giving of your time and investing in your femininity. I love you. God bless you. See you soon. <laughs> Have a great day.